Today we're continuing our, our sermon series on fearless. And today we're going to be talking about um, the traditional theme of the fourth Sunday of Advent, which is love. But today we're going to be talking about a perfect love. And we know what scripture says about perfect love, don't we? Perfect love casts out all fear. In John's epistle, the first epistle, you know, John's epistle, if you want to read an uplifting uh, book in the Bible, read 1 John and hear over and over again how God and love are equated. And, and in the fourth chapter of, the, of 1 John, the 18th verse, we read this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. You know what I discovered? I haven't reached perfection in love yet. Because I still have a little fear from time to time. Do I have a witness? But perfect love, that's the love of Christ. God's love in Christ. When we connect to that perfect love, it casts out all fear. And we as Christians, this is good Methodist theology, are called to connect and to connect and stay closer and closer to that perfect love as we go on to that perfection in love. That's God living through us. That's what that's about. Now I want to say a word before we read the 11th chapter of Isaiah, which is a typical chapter, vision in the Bible for this time of year. I want to say that the church has to stand for messy and the risky business of reckless grace. That is all about perfect love. Missional churches, like I hope ours is, needs to ratch up the expectation of striving and pointing out, interpreting, embodying, the excessive nature of God's perfect love and reckless grace. The church must stand as the ultimate conveyor of lavish hospitality, reckless grace, and utter devotion to Jesus Christ as God with us. Now that's a pretty tall order. Tall orders like that Demand a vision that moves us forward. A goal that we know we can't reach on our own. And when we read the 11th chapter of Isaiah, I hope we read that not as something that's going to happen someday when Christ comes back and it's all on God. I hope we read it as, this, as yes, it's all on God, but it's about God bringing about this vision in the day-to-day. -day. God's kingdom, we pray will come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's the church that has the responsibility of connecting to this perfect love of God and bringing about this vision of God in this world of need. Let's stand out of respect for God's word as we read this um, 11th chapter and what's on the screen ain't it. So y'all listen to me. A shoot shall come out of the stock of Jesse, 
and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's the respect of the Lord. His delight shall be in the, the fear of the Lord, the respect of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but his righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. Now listen, the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not destroy or hurt on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And on that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now we're not talking about the zoo here. Isaiah has given us vivid examples of animals dwelling together for us as human beings to see ourselves in the story. So what is meant by lambs among wolves and leopards and baby goats and calves and lions stretching out with cows for a nap together and a little child shall lead them. Oh, by the way, that's why we read this every Advent, right before we celebrate Christmas, is because we celebrate the little child who leads us into a world that otherwise we might think was impossible. Don Underwood is a colleague of mine. He's the pastor at Christ United Methodist Church in Plano. He's been there for three decades. And Don shared a devotional thought this week that I want to pass on to you. And I, I want this devotional thought to kind of lay the foundation of the rest of what I want to tell you this morning. Listen to Don's word. He's talking about this text. I could not help but think of these words from Isaiah as we lit the Advent candle for peace this past Sunday. It is perhaps the most picturesque vision of a peaceful world in all of literature. And perhaps because 
we are living in such a contentious and divided world, it has become rooted in my heart and my mind more this Advent season than ever before. What is most fascinating about this text is that the prophet's messianic vision has nothing to do with unanimity or even consensus. He does not foresee a world in which we will all become the same. Indeed, precisely the opposite. Isaiah envisioned a world in which opposites live together side by side. A world where natural enemies inhabit the same space. Where the knowledge of the Lord brings people together in peace rather than enmity and division. So here's a question I've been pondering, says Don. Why is it that we hear so much divisive language from people of faith? How is that? As people of faith, we have managed to separate ourselves into the same competing tribal identities that are typical of pagan societies. Now that's a good question. I think I've been guilty of this myself, Don says. Who among us has not said, I just can't live with that person or these people? In other ways, it is the natural response that arises from a deeply flawed human beings as we are. We are passionate about our values and our positions and sometimes that passion drives us into a kind of uncompromising conviction that others are so wrong that we can't live with them. Settle down, Don. The messianic vision of Isaiah is prompting me to think more deeply about what peace in our modern world might look like. Could it be that it is precisely what he claims it to be? That's Isaiah. That we don't have to change other people in order to live peaceably with them. This is an important word. A vision of a wolf living with the lamb and the leopard lying down with the kid. Human beings of different persuasions living together in peace because a little child leads them. That's a Christmas vision, Don says, worth pondering. <laughs> well, I've been pondering. I think he's right. You know, we as the church who embrace a Judeo-Christian heritage, who look at this Isaiah prophecy that was um, Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, the little child who leads us came into the world. We embrace this vision. And we embrace it hopefully knowing that the little child who leads us does not lead us into the ordinary. Does not lead us into the kind of thinking that you get on the street any day of the week. That plays to our lesser nature as human beings. That uplifts our differences. And, and, and doesn't underscore the perfect love that Christ came into the world to bring. And the church has to say we follow 
a little child who leads us into a vision of what the world can be and will be, we say, by faith. Because the perfect love in us is bringing about that perfection. But we, church, I'm going to get even more specific. We, Lover's Lane, I'm going to get a little more specific. We, Crosswalk, are called to be this church that follows the little child wherever the child leads us and especially when the child leads us to a world that we can only dream would happen I love Tony Campalo's old book The Kingdom of God is a Party one of our associates who's passed on now Dudley Dancer gave me this book years ago and it's just full I've been mining it for sermons for years and and I I went back and I I read a story that reminds me exactly of what Isaiah was talking about Tony said that he was sitting in front of a television in a hotel in Zurich Switzerland he said that he was between flights from Africa and he was Anxious, couldn't go to sleep. He was thinking about what he'd seen, thinking about coming home and all the things that were waiting on him. He said he just couldn't sleep. He was watching the television, just waiting for the time to go to the airport when all of a sudden on TV came the closing celebration of the Olympic Games that year. Games were over. He said as he watched the television screens, here they came wearing their team's uh, uniforms And they were carrying their national flags. They marched around the stadium in a structured parade like columns of soldiers. And then he said, something happened. Some of the Olympians started breaking ranks. They ran and they danced with one another in a spontaneous outpouring of enthusiasm. The neat columns were gone. Nationalistic identities were gone. There were no longer winners or losers, capitalists or communists, whites or blacks, Hispanics or Asians, rich or poor. All of it was gone. They were only happy, dancing people, athletes, hugging each other and loving each other. Tears of joy were being poured out. And we were all, all over the world, watching this unfold in amazement. All at once was joyful pandemonium and unspeakable joy. Now friends, I can see that happening, can't you? I mean, here are these athletes, they've been training for four years, you know, and their event's over, they won or they lost or they did whatever they did, and, but they got to represent their country, and here they are at this grand celebration, and it's all over, and, and we're not going to march in these lines. We're going we're gonna to express what's in our hearts. We're no longer competitors. We're going to dance and hug and cry and love each other in this snapshot of the world see what's different in, about those athletes is that not, not all of them are following the little child who leads them not all of them have a vision of this is what God came to bring to the world a kind of love like this that is not just a snapshot it's not just the ending of an event but it is the beginning and the middle and the end that Christ has called the church to bring about 
a little child leads us. I want us to imagine for just a moment a world in which Christ followers, that's you and me, are committed to live the love of Jesus in our daily lives. Well, I'm not saying we won't make mistakes and slip from that. But I'm just, I'm just asking what will happen if we put that love of Jesus as, at the forefront. Imagine that our lives were characterized by righteousness and compassion, faithfulness and moral courage, a passion for justice, and a passion to tell the world about Jesus. Imagine a church unified around the vision of this perfect world that Isaiah lifts up and the little child that leads them that is all about the babe of Bethlehem. And imagine a church where we can be passionate about our values and our positions but never let our views fall into a conviction that others are wrong and we just can't live with people like that. Now, can you imagine that? Lambs, lions, wolves, kids, and a little child will lead them. I want to close with this gift. Given to me, I pass it on to you. I'm re-gifting you. It's a DFW story. But I came by it by a professor of Princeton Theological School. Her name is Dr. Kenda Creasy Dean. And Dr. Dean has a passion for bringing young adults, young people into the faith. She's written a book about it. This comes out of that book. She talks about how important it is for the church, not only of the future, but of the now, to be a church that can speak, that can attract young people. And she tells a story. As I was reading it, I remembered this story unfolding here in DFW. It actually took place in Grapevine. Got anybody from Grapevine here? Yep. And it was about two football teams. Imagine that in Texas. One, the Faith Christian School. They were the Lions. The other football team, the Gainesville State School. They were the Tornadoes. And Dean describes these two football teams. One, the faith school. They had 70 players, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and hordes of involved parents and students at every game cheering them on. And this particular year, they had a record of 7-2, and two, and they were going into this game with the Gainesville State School tornadoes who were 0 and 8 again Gainesville hadn't won a game in years they had 14 players they'd scored two touchdowns all year the Cowboys will do better than that today they had 7 year old pads and uniforms and dilapidated helmets they were escorted on the field by 12 security guards 
who unlocked their handcuffs before the game. These kids were at Gainesville State School because they'd committed crimes and they'd been assigned there. It was youth prison. Many of their families had already disowned them. Gainesville plays every game on the road. And there are hardly ever any fans on their side of the stadium. Before the game, face head coach Chris Hogan had an idea. What if for one night, half of the Faith Christian School fans cheered for the Gainesville kids, the Tornadoes? Hogan wrote to the Faith's faithful, we want to convey to these Gainesville kids that they are the most valuable kids on the planet. The faith fans agreed. And when the Gainesville tornadoes took the field, they crashed through a banner that the faith fans had created that said, Go Tornadoes! And there were 45 feet of parents on each side forming a spirit line, and the JV cheerleaders led the tornadoes onto the field. And there were 200 fans who were in the stands on the tornado side yelling for the tornadoes, cheering them on by name. Alex, who's a Gainesville lineman, he had to play both ways. He played offensive and defensive line. He said, I thought these people were really confused. And another lineman, Gerald, said, you know, we can tell people are a little afraid when we come on the field, especially when they unlock our handcuffs. But these people were yelling for us. They knew our names. And then Gainesville's quarterback, who was also the middle linebacker, his name was Isaiah. <laughs> Get it? Isaiah. He said, shaking his head in disbelief, I never thought I'd hear parents cheering for us to tackle their kids. But that's what they were doing. And at the end of the game, Faith won 33 to 14, okay? But the losers danced off the field as if they'd won the game with their, they scored two touchdowns in one game. They hadn't scored two touchdowns all year. And they were holding up, we're number one. ESPN reported that it was first football coach in history to go 0-9 and get a Gatorade bath at the end of the game.
when the teams gathered at the middle of the field, which was their custom, Isaiah, Isaiah asked if he could pray. And he prayed. Lord, I don't really know what happened here tonight. So I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people who cared about us and who were cheering for us. Amen. And then the guards came and escorted the tornadoes back on the bus. But they weren't handcuffed. They all got a a bag of hamburgers and french fries and candy and a Bible. And it was reported as they were pulling off in the bus that all of the kids were on the, um, were on the, 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 the left side of the bus and they were standing there looking at the, the parents who were waving to them and calling out their names. Coach Williams grabbed Coach Hogan by the shoulder and he said, you, you'll never know what this night meant to our kids. And as they were waving goodbye, it's almost as if you could hear Isaiah. Oh, not the quarterback and linebacker. The other guy. The wolf shall live with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them oh you might say well it's just a football game no no no. it was an act of faith following the direction of the little child and responding in a way made a huge difference you know what happened next year <laughs> the Gainesville Tornadoes won two games and when they went back to play faith where it all began they had much the same treatment except their end zone was painted with GSS in their school colors and instead of 200 people in the stands on their side There were 4,000 people at the game. ESPN was there, as well as other television stations and reporters galore. And, And by the way, other schools in that conference who got the word about what faith had done did the same for the Gainesville kids. So week after week, after week they were cheered by people who knew their names friends when the church 
gets excited about the little child who leads them. When the church doesn't care about who's the winner and the loser. When the church allows for us to be different and to hold different opinions and different persuasions and the church says but when we come together we come together to make a statement that will draw people to the little child because it's so weird what we do we're a bunch of lambs and wolves and kids and lions and calves all together because the vision of perfect love is bigger than any vision the world can convey it is beyond your ability and my ability to live in such a vision but the little child who leads us is the perfect love and following him, you just have to say, Go tornadoes! Go tornadoes! Get him, Isaiah! That's my kid. Amen.